and welcome back to another episode of the EdTech podcast, where we seek to improve the dialogue between ed and tech for better innovation and impact. This week, I've been having some really great catch-up chats with some familiar and new faces, um, chatting from everything about uh, supercomputers, deep learning, and the promise of remote working. So um, if that's you, it's been great to catch up. And uh, I even managed as well to catch up on a a few minutes of drum practice this week. So um, watch your back, Taylor Hawkins. Now, though, before we start, a few updates from the world of ed and tech this week. So first up, www.gomakecreate.com, which is a free short filmmaking challenge from Adobe and Netflix. And I've already um, made the storyboard for an adventure film with my six-year-old. And if you're looking for something fun, creative and digital to do with your kids, do go and check that out. We've had a lot of fun and giggles um, putting together our quest for um, gold bars. So lots of fun there. Um, Next up, for students aged 13 to 16, there is the 12th edition of Design Ventura, the Design Museum's national design competition, which invites teams of children to design a product with the winning design being sold in the Design Museum shop which is pretty cool um, this year the competition has collaborated with sound artist and designer Yuri Suzuki as the brief setter um, and you can check out the brief and how to enter on our website um, so if you go to the show notes for the edtechpodcast.com forward slash podcast check out the latest episodes and all these links will be put up there Um, And for younger kids in years seven to eight, there's also the Waste Age Mini Challenge, which offers a taster of the Design Ventura program for younger audiences. And finally, for anyone who listened to our past episode with music and tech genius Imogen Heap, you'll be interested to know that Open UK, the London-based advocacy organisation for open technology in the UK, uh, has launched the second edition of the Free Kids Digital Skills Camp. Um, and they're giving away uh, 5,000 free digital glove kits. So the initiative's goal is to boost UK kids' uh, digital and coding skills and to raise awareness of the importance of coding, sustainability and open source education among primary and secondary school children. And you can find out more uh, by searching Open UK and Open Kids Camp. Right, now on to some cool things for startups listening in to get involved in. So first up, funding and competitions. Um, Innovate UK, as part of UK Research and Innovation, is offering the chance to receive a £50,000 grant and a bespoke package of mentoring, coaching and business support. Go and check out what they're up to. Reimagine Education is back and calling for groundbreaking innovations in education to submit to their judges and to win up to $50,000 in funding. Um, And there are only a few weeks left to apply for that. The EdTech Digest EdTech Awards um, are still open for entries. So go and check out what they're up to. The guys over at StoryCube have a last few places open for their free sales and storytelling workshops for EdTech companies, which is delivered in collaboration with JISC and previous cohort members include Handshake, Sam Labs, Hardwareio, Kitty Science, Bibliu, Springpod and Codegrade. And the next sprint is from the 28th of September to the 15th of October. So you need to get in touch quick if you're listening to this fresh off the press. Um, 
female edtech geniuses should uh, check out the Women in Innovation Awards 2021-22, which opens this month. And last but not least, Tech Nation's Rising Stars is open in the UK and applications close on the 20th of October. Phew! And um, events. So there's some events gearing up over the next weeks and months. There is Educator Investor in London in October, UFI Voctech Trust's Week of Voctech in November, and Reimagine Education in December. And the EdTech podcast is involved um, across some of those variously. So keep your eyes peeled and hope to see some people either online or in person, um, which is all very exciting. So on to this week's episode, which is a refreshing and exciting chat about all things audio and learning. Thanks so much to my guests who shared so much brilliant information in this episode. And I hope you enjoy. Um, It's not very hard for me to get excited about audio and podcasts. So here we go. Now let's talk about Apple Podcasts. As you know, Apple helped launch the podcast industry 15 years ago. We were talking before about how how old audio learning is. I'm, I'm actually going to go 2,000, 3,000 years back, um, pre the printing press, when the spoken word and audio was the main format for education. When looking specifically at spoken word, spoken word's share of audio listening has increased by 30% over the last six years. Uh, a big deal this week, another Spotify podcasting acquisition. We're also introducing Apple podcast subscriptions, which enables you to unlock new content as well as additional benefits like ad-free listening, early access, and much more. So, yeah, really excited to be back with our next episode. Um, How this episode really started is... um, I guess in the summer of this year, 2021, I kind of put together a few thoughts on on LinkedIn around audio and learning. And I think the article was titled Podcast as a Learning Tool. And that seemed to uh, garner quite a bit of interest. So I think there were sort of 420 views and 10 comments and people started going back and forth on it. And that has really evolved into, into this episode on audio and learning. So for listeners who didn't have... The chance to check out that article, um, a quick summary. Firstly, looking at the history of uh, audio and learning that, you know, this isn't a new thing that, you know, many of the language learning things we grew up with, were perhaps, you know, cassettes that you would listen into or even the, the open university um, and some of the um, long distance learning being based around audio uh, and the audio medium. And then the idea that, you know, the pandemic has sort of accelerated the, the need to um, learn in different ways and audio being one of those. And indeed, 900,000 podcasts being launched in 2020 alone. And many of those podcasts were to assist in learning. Uh, so whether that's revision for your medical exams or learning as entertainment. Um, and even pre-pandemic, some of the uh, big tech companies like Spotify, Amazon, Apple, and even the BBC are sort of going all out with acquisitions um, to try and put them in the top spot for audio content, um, including, again, audio for learning. So this episode really is, you know, what can we expect next for audio for learning and how will this serve education institutions, edtech organisations, and more importantly, the learners themselves? 
With me to talk about all of this are Sophie Bolzer, the founder and CEO of Audvice. Based in Austria, Audvice is an audio-based software solution for companies that helps them to capture and spread real know-how. Of the biggest myth in education, she says that schools and universities are the ones driving innovation in the edtech sector, when in fact it's almost always companies or end consumers. Um, of her recommended resource, she loves listening to the SASTA uh, podcast, which provides lots of hands-on insight from successful SAS founders. And she is personally inspired by Go Student, which is Austria's second unicorn this year. Sophie is a fighter, having come back from a terrible ski accident where she was laid up in bed to run her own business and make the most of dead time to study with Audvice. So welcome, Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Thanks for having me. Next up, we have Nigel Smith, um, Head of Learning at Apolitical. Apolitical's big idea is that governments are critical to solving global challenges, but public servants lack access to the best skills and solutions. So he says, we're bringing 21st century learning to public servants around the world to make government smarter to solve the world's hardest challenges. Of the biggest myth in education, he says that online learning is inherently inferior to face-to-face. Nigel is a stalwart in audio and learning, having worked previously as the digital editor at both BBC Radio 5 Live and Radio 4, and also as the director of content at FutureLearn, where he grew his team from four people to more than 30. He is no stranger to controversy, having closed down the message board for the BBC Radio 4 show The Archers, and subsequently receiving hate mail, which I find truly astonishing. And so I'm very sorry that you went through that um, personally hard time, Nigel, we can talk about that later. Um, His personal hero is Diana Lorillard at UCL, whose conversational framework informed a lot of FutureLearn's approach to social learning. And a moment he has been most scared of is clinging to the edge of Isle of Skye's Cullen Ridge. So welcome, Nigel. Great to be here. Next up, we've got Ben Schumann-Stoller, the Director of Content for Shortcast at Blinkist. Ben has helped launch audio formats since 2014 to inspire people to fit learning into their lives. The newest one is called Shortcast, where he works with well-known and -and up-and-coming podcast creators to present and highlight the key learnings of a podcast episode through a specially designed audio format lasting 15 minutes or less. Ben was born in Chicago, USA, before moving to Berlin, where he currently works. His favourite podcast is the Really Long History podcast series, which covers things like the history of Rome, Age of Napoleon and the decline of civilization. Uh, and of the biggest myth in education, he says that people with the most reach are the most knowledgeable or credible. So here, here to that and welcome Ben. Um, and finally, our last two guests. So first up, we have Megan Lazovic. Megan is a Vice President at Edison Research. She crafts custom research for thought leadership and content marketing and specialises in the creative presentation of data and insights. In the past year, she has created and presented the Spoken Word Audio Report from NPR and Edison Research, the Smart Audio Report Australia and Radio Live On Air and Everywhere. Of a big myth in education, she says... We have so much information about consumers accessible through technology and, of course, people love to analyse big data. They want to see actual usage information. But I'd argue as a researcher that just looking at that information is simply not enough. There is no substitute for an in-person qualitative research study or a customised national survey to understand your target consumer against the total population. Her personal hero and resources that she highlights are the work of Gina Davis for her gender equality research. That is a great example of how to use research for good. 
and James Cridland, who is an excellent journalist and thought leader and who has been documenting the changes in radio and digital audio for many years. And his newsletter, Pod News, is a must read, she says. So welcome, Megan. And last but not least, Yehoshua Zlotogorski, co-founder and CEO for Alp Audio. Alp Audio is a startup content provider created by a former VC investor. Uh, Yehoshua says, we've built Alp courses to fit into our lifestyle, whether you're on your way to school, work, washing the dishes or going for a job. So welcome to all the amazing guests. Um, Let's start right at the beginning. I'd, I'd like to delve into some of the historical evolutions of audio and learning that people should know about. So I don't know, Nigel, if you want to kick that one off. And then if anyone wants to jump in with their own kind of views on this, that would be great. Yeah, well, like, as you said at the beginning, Sophie, audio in learning is um, nothing new. The BBC, what, what was the BBC, the British Broadcasting Company before it became nationalised, um, they broadcast their first radio directly to schools back in 1924. So, you know, that's evidence. Um, one of my favourite examples is the School of the Air in Australia, which is how... Um, learning was delivered to people living in the outback and children would come to these buildings, these schools, where they would listen to broadcasts, broadcasts on shortwave radios and the, the learning materials, the additional materials that they would read would be delivered by the flying doctors. Now, I think what's really interesting there with Australia, because in my experience, certainly at FutureLearn, where I worked with a lot of really forward-thinking Australian universities. I've always found, you know, Australia actually is one of, been one of the great pioneers in distance learning um, and online learning and edtech. And I think, you know, one of the reasons for that is this immense geography. And, you know, the School of the Air is a, um, you know, a fantastic example that has been doing that uh, for years um, and has evolved. Um, and as you said, Open University, you know, I actually looked on eBay yesterday. You can buy secondhand open university cassettes uh, should you wish to buy, uh, you know, Shakespeare works or, or language learning. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a long uh, and storied history for sure. Can I throw something in? There's a there's a great book called The Untold Story of the Talking Book by Matthew Rubery uh, that maybe some people know. And uh, he's got this great uh summation of the history of, of audiobooks, especially, and, and how audio is represented text. And basically says it's always been, it's always been around as long as published books. There's been an idea that that people who can't read or people that don't have access to the printed book should be able to access its information. Um, so he's got this great term of represent and overcome, which I think is something that audio is still trying to do, like represent the text, represent an idea, but overcome its limitations of being in a book or being something you have to read. So it's always been tied up with accessibility and always been tied up with technology. Thanks so much for that, Ben. And I love the point from Nigel about it being tied up with sort of, um, you know, overcoming rural challenges or challenges of accessing kind of education in a physical way. And um, I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of people who listen into audio content for learning you know, so many times you hear it's because they're commuting long distances. So that still holds true today as well. I, th I know it's something that you mentioned, Sophie, when you came up with the idea of Audvice. 
Yes, exactly. So I had the idea to advise when I was commuting a lot between Salzburg and Innsbruck, like my hometown and the city I studied. Um, and at some point, uh, I was just, there were really knockout exams coming up. So every minute literally counted to kind of really prepare. Um, and I had a look at if there's some kind of podcasts or audiobooks out there that are somehow relevant to what I had to learn. But since I didn't find anything um, that was kind of relevant or affordable, I ended up doing my own voice recordings and realized that it helped me so much um, to remember the things better. And then when my fellow students told me they're doing the same thing, I thought it's such a pity that um, no one is sharing it. Um, and today also we see, um, I mean, Advice is, uh, like you said earlier, a platform that makes it really easy for um, people to create, share and listen to knowledge that comes really structured in, in playlists and tracks. And back then we um, were targeting students, but today it's used by big uh, companies um, to facilitate um, internal onboardings, trainings and continuous learning. And it's still today nice to see where our users actually listen to advice that can be still while they're commuting. But also a lot of them said while they're doing sports and actually to mentioned that they're listening to advice while they're taking the probably not most romantic bubble bath, but still a bubble bath. So this is really how I think audio can fit so much better in your day. I thought you were going to say something far worse than bubble bath. So uh, I'm glad. <laughs> um, does anyone else have any, um, any any interesting ideas of where this audio content is being listened to? Well, I just finished two weeks of um, remote one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews for the next version of the spoken word audio report that we're releasing later this fall. Um, so pretty much nonstop talking to people about how they listen to spoken word audio. Um, and I pretty much heard it all. Um, and, but I, I do think that it's, um, it's cool that each person has like their own routine, like they have their own thing. For example, my thing is I look forward to on Saturday morning, going out in my garden and, and working in my flower bed and listening to a podcast. That is just a thing that I look forward to that I've worked into my routine. And that's the beautiful part of audio is that it can fit into things that you all already have to do and really enhance things that you have to do. You're doing the dishes. I hate doing the dishes, but I don't mind listening to a podcast while I'm doing the dishes. Um, and, and that's, that's what I heard from all of these people, um, that they really enjoyed the opportunity to, um, to, to learn something new while they're, while they're doing all of the other things that they have to do throughout the day. I mean, one person even said, you know, when, when I have to play, play with my kids. And sometimes that can get repetitive and boring. You stick one earbud in one ear. <laughs> and, and she said, you know, and then I don't mind, you know, after a while, you can only play dinosaurs so, so much, right? And you have something in your ear and you get a little adult stimulation as well. You know, um, it's really terrible. And I hope um, my mother-in-law or any others are listening in, but I have done that at, at sort of, um, you know, putting to bedtime sometimes, not with the one that's older and understands that, you know, but maybe when um, little one was like really wee, when you're just like, this is going to be a long slog. <laughs> so, you right. know, and actually that was Blinkist, Ben, you'll be um, pleased to know. So, <laughs> Of course, that's be good. present with your children. I don't want to advocate to ignore your children. <laughs> it can help. Can, Megan, can I ask you a follow-up? Sure. Um, because one thing that I found really interesting was how what we've seen in our research is like 
the commute use case and the multitasking use case at home have become since COVID like super nuanced. So now there's not just like at home and out of home, but now there's like, what do you mean at home? I could be doing lots of things at home. I could be really focusing on something at home, or I could be kind of listening at home, or I could be kind of doing both. And same thing with commuting. It used to be like, it's on and I'm either on the train, on the bike or on the car. Now it's like, what do you mean commuting? You know what I mean? There's, it, it seems like, uh, and I'm just curious if in these discussions you had, uh, if there's anything you can kind of uh, drop before the report drops. <laughs> for sure, there are gray areas for people, um, but I think it comes down to content selection. Um, and um, people were very specific about when they listen to a banter podcast and when they would listen to a very specific true crime podcast. Um, and um, it's it's funny. It's almost like the activities will will pick the type of content. Um, I personally cannot, I love spoken word audio. I cannot listen to it while I'm working. I need to concentrate. I don't have that type of job where I can sit and listen, but I'm amazed by so many people who say I can, I can sit at my desk and listen to a podcast. Um, and those are the type of people who are kind of listening to, um, a, a Joe Rogan or some other type of banter long form podcast where they can sort of have it on in the background and tune in and out. They don't feel like they have to listen to the whole thing so intensely um, for like, as as opposed to like a true crime podcast where you want to hear everything. And if you miss something, you don't really understand what's going on. This week, we've got a, a little snippet here now from Michael Shaw, who has been reading Audrey Waters' new book, Teaching Machine. So in the style of all those short form summaries that we've been talking about, Check out what Michael Shaw has to say about Audrey Waters' new book, and then we'll be back on with our audio and learning. For the last few weeks, I've been telling pretty much everyone I know in EdTech, oh, you should read Teaching Machines. It's not a book about the latest in AI or neuroscience. It's about the innovators who are trying to make classroom technology 100 years ago. Now, these were mechanical devices made out of wood and metal. But the goal behind them was uncannily similar to a lot of EdTech today, uh, to give learners a personalized experience with questions and information at the right level. I find it fascinating how similar some of the debates and problems they faced were to modern ones. But Audrey Waters' book is also clearly meant as a warning. One of the biggest innovators featured is B.F. Skinner, an expert in behavioral conditioning of animals, who even trained pigeons to play table tennis. The book makes us think, if our technology still resembles his... Are we too treating children like mice in a maze? I'm quite interested to hear from everyone on how you see audio for learning playing out. I think one of the things that is interesting is a lot of popular podcasts have a learning element. You know, there's a lot of factual stuff. Um, when you look at what the BBC does, you know, the BBC have invested a lot in sounds which is their audio app and the most popular content on there you know on demand is radio 4 content factual content a lot of really popular podcasts you know have this sort of you know my some of my favorite podcast things like you know 99% invisible which is a great podcast about design and urban environment you know i learn a lot um from that 20 minutes and i think what's interesting is as more people listen to kind of that content for a learning, but also 
there's an element of entertainment in it as well, that they are taking what they've enjoyed there if they work in a learning environment and thinking, okay, well, how can I put this sort of stuff into an online course? Um, so it's certainly what we've been doing, thinking about it at Apolitical is how do we bring elements of what people like from a podcast and present it in our unique learning experience for public servants? So I think there's there's going to be a mixture. I think those big companies are definitely investing in in stuff that is broadly educational, mm-hmm. but the popularity of that stuff is then influencing, you know, what people do in, in more traditional learning environments. And you mentioned social learning in the beginning. So I suppose some audio for learning can be quite broadcast. It can be, you know, here's some content, like listen in. I'm interested to sort of see whether the social element of all of this develops as well. So will we have more communities of learners off the back of um, some of the, either the podcasts or other forms of audio content? At Apolitical, our online courses are very much based on social learning principles we really believe that public servants can learn a great deal you know, from each other. They want to share their ideas. So what we have done with some of the audio content that we're developing is looked at you know, great contributions from learners within our courses, have then contacted those people and recorded little voice memos. Um, so in our sort of short form five minute audio content, you'll hear the voices of public servants uh, from around the world sharing their kind of take on on particular ideas. So for us, it's been just quite an interesting way of kind of taking one part of the learning experience and then repositioning it in a way that we hope people will engage with. And I think that's sort of an interesting thing for us all to talk about is just how do you fit the kind of the learning part of the audio experience into the sort of, you know, people's kind of busy lifestyles. I would just add that learning is one word that has a lot of different sub-segments. And so learning can be anything from just osmosis, I'm listening to two people talk and whatever I absorb, I absorb, all the way to intentional, you know, solving math problems or coding where you're really hands-on. And the why we learn matters just as much, if not more, than what we're learning and the way the structured is content. And so when someone is approaching material because they have to ace an exam the next day or they have to solve something at work, their mindset is very different than listening to Joe Rogan or uh, Invest Like the Best or Bankless Podcast or whatever you're listening to on your way to work when sure you wanna learn, but it's really also a companion for your commute or for your flower beds. And just like we have YouTube versus Coursera or Udemy um, or cohort-based courses today where each format is very different, I think the audio landscape is going to shape up the same way because podcasts would be much more similar to YouTube where they accompany you, they're informal. Um, The business model today is also driven in a very similar way where advertising, engagement, Um, repetitive podcasts and YouTubes, that's the way people monetize versus a course model where it's really one and done. Um, There's a curriculum, there's a syllabus, you go, you start at A, you end at Z, um, you've learned something, you've changed along the way, which is very, very different from a standard podcast. Um, And those also are driven from the business model of the large companies that you mentioned, 
where the standard podcast format is really built around engagement and advertising. And it contribute to a unit, as in a course, where you have you know, 10 podcasts, someone pays for those 10 podcasts. Um, and that's really driven from you know, Spotify and Apple podcasts and, and the way these larger players are built. So the business model also comes into how people teach. Um, and just kind of tapping onto what Nigel was talking about at the end, which is how do we do audio learning, especially when we're doing other things? Um, interestingly enough, I know we were talking before about how how old audio learning is. I'm, I'm actually going to go 2,000, 3,000 years back, um, pre the printing press, when the spoken word and audio was the main format for education, whether you're talking about the Bible, the Quran, the Iliad, and the Odyssey, all of these were oral works. And the principles of teaching something in an auditory first way have existed for a long time whether it's chunking information, repetition, um, mnemonics, all of those aspects have, have really been around for a very long time. And today, if you want to teach something properly in audio, you also have to consider those elements and infuse what you're teaching with those elements, whether it's storytelling or mnemonics and repetition. Today, you can also add in all kinds of technological improvements, whether it's interactive questions and answers with audio and voice or um, you know, summaries, all kinds of things like that. But going back to the basics for audio learning to be genuine, you have to have those things inside. Amazing. I, I love that reflection on, on, you know, how long we're talking about here. I'd love to come back to Megan in a bit, actually, on, well, maybe we should do that now um, before we go on to some of the innovations that are out there, because you did mention some of the sort of uses of technology to um, make the most out of audio for learning. But just before we do that, the spoken word audio report, I know you're working on one currently, so some of that may still be in motion. For our listeners, could you sort of summarise some of the main points of your most recent published um, report? Sure. Um, well, we partnered with NPR to conduct this research, and um, this coming fall will be our third iteration of the report. Um, but the spoken word is a combination of a couple different surveys. One is uh, from Share of Ear from Edison Research, which is this huge ongoing survey. Um, it's a diary study where we ask Americans to fill out a diary for a 24-hour period. And they, um, they fill out their listening in 15-minute increments. And we can get so much information out of that diary, um, how much time they're spending with with music, how much time they're spending with spoken word, and we can break that down by platform. So this huge data set gives us so so much information about um, what and how people are listening. So we know if they're listening in the car or at home and what devices they're using. So we use some of that to um, track um, these habits over time since um, Sherevir has been has been going on for many years now. Um, and we know that um, when looking specifically at spoken word, spoken word's share of audio listening has increased by 30% over the last six years and 8% over the past year. So um, the popularity of spoken word is really growing. People are spending more time with it at the expense of music. People still love their music and um, music out of the overall pie, music is getting more time spent. Uh, but spoken word is really starting to take away music. 
We were also interested in that growth for the previous report. Um, who's listening more uh, and why are they listening? Um, and we noticed that spoken word audio's growth is driven by large increases among women, younger listeners, African-Americans and Latinos, at least in the U.S. Um, so younger, more diverse uh, populations. And I'm excited for this next report coming up because we decided to do an, uh, an extra focus on, on those people. So you'll see a lot of the same ideas from the 2020 study um, in the spoken word audio report. But this coming year, you'll, you'll get to see a, uh, a little more insight on, uh, on those audiences. Um, what else? Oh, the other thing is that it's just, we, we dug into, we asked those people who were listening to spoken word audio more often, why are you spending more time listening to spoken word? Um, and, and, um, we did this by first conducting one-on-one -on -one interviews where, um, I, you know, I met with about 20 people and asked them all of the reasons, all of their motivations. And then we took those reasons, put it in a super long list and put it back in an, into a, a new national survey. And then we were able to quantify those reasons, see what reasons really rise to the top. And, and some of them you can you can guess, but it's really nice when you can sort of quantify what are the most popular reasons. Um, convenience and multitasking were, you know, super high on the list. And those are long recognized for spoken word listening. Um, but other strong motivators for increased listening are personal growth content, like self-help and wellness type of content. Um, people said they're just finding better content, more relevant content for them. Um, and that content could have been out there. They're just finally discovering it or there's more content out there that's appealing to them. Um, and then uh, the final theme that came out of those interviews and in the research um, was spoken words ability to improve mental health. And I'll remind you, we, we did this study kind of after or during the pandemic, really. Um, and I have never, I've been doing one-on-one -on -one interviews for about 15 years, I've never had so much discussion about mental health. It is so top of mind. And it's something that people are willing to talk about now. It's a thing. Everyone, we're in the middle of a pandemic. People are trying to find ways to get through it. Um, so um, spoken word audio really, really helps. I think the mental health topic is right on point there. Because when we, when we talk about learning, we're not necessarily talking about uh, getting an MBA or, um, you know, philosophy 101 at a university uh, MOOC, we could be talking about learning in the sense of, I don't feel well and I wish I felt better. And when, or I need help, you know, or in the sense that whatever, my kid won't go to sleep and I need help. I, I have a question that I want an answer to. That's learning. Um, and I think what audio and what, what podcasts have done is, is make it more accessible, is be able to create a space where, um, instead of having to go enroll in a course or something in order to find out the, the 10 ways uh, that positive psychology can, can, can uh, uh, I can implement positive psychology in my life. Maybe I just search positive psychology in the app store. I mean, in the, in podcasts or, or uh, Google it. And, and then maybe exactly that afternoon on the way home, I'm listening to something excellent about that. And I think, I think this is such a positive, amazing opportunity. That's why we're all here. Right. Because yeah, I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. Then when someone has access to that information that unlocks that thing, or they feel like, oh, I'm, I've been helped, I'm satisfied, you know? And then when we're talking about mental health, it's actually can be life-changing or life-saving. And um, I think, so I think, I just think like it's a beautiful, important moment 
kind of in the history of ideas, you know. In one of my recent interviews this past week, a woman said um, that a listening to a podcast about mental health convinced her to finally start going to see a therapist. And it's just something she would have never considered. Um, but it really is when, when, when listening to something can make that much change in your life and bring that much good in your life. Um, it's, it's really amazing. You know, listening is a very intimate experience. It's a very different experience to, to watching a video. Um, and typically, you know, listening on headphones, um, you, you do develop, you do feel like you develop relationships with those people who you are listening to in a way that you don't necessarily do through uh, other mediums. And I think you have much more time to reflect um, on what is said compared to video because like uh, you can count on your own imagination while as um, with a video, like uh, you're just very passively um, consuming everything. And with audio, that's very different. Um, and what I also find very interesting, I mean, um, if you have a look at all the research that is out there on the probability when people really remember things or not, um, so they tend to remember things much more, of course, when they have some kind of emotional connection to it. Um, and this is what like, I'm always fascinated about again and again when I listen to something. I, I feel so much more connected to people's voices that it's easier for me to remember it. Um, and this is also something we found out when we were um, asking our users, for example, for feedback. Um, and, and when you imagine that like everyone in the company has a, a really easy um, life in kind of getting audio content out there about like uh, not only long-term content, but also short-term. So what is relevant in my team or in my um, region? Then the feedback was that users um, felt so much more connected to the company because they were listening just voice-based um, to their supervisors who are in different countries, who they will probably never meet, but who are deciding um, on the strategy um, and on like how these people um, at the end of the hierarchy should execute. Um, and they also had the opportunity to contribute what they know, even if it's just like some kind of knowledge that is relevant for their team of five people. Um, and then they also said they felt so much more heard in a company. Um, and I think this is what is the beautiful thing about audio. It kind of keeps the barrier really low for people to not only access and consume it, but also for people to create it. And I think this is the point um, why there is much more relevant audio content out there um, compared to video. That is like such a big effort in production um, that you always need to make it uh, pay off and uh, you always focus on content that needs to last forever. And then um, it's more generic and never really relevant to people. Yeah, some absolutely fascinating points there. Um, you know, if we think about the future of audio for learning, I guess I was really interested in the points about the fact that you're just, you know, you're learning in a broad sense and it's not about learning to gain a qualification necessarily. Um, so it can be kind of informal. Um, it can be broader than, you know, goals for your workplace. It can be it can be things to do with your own personal development outside of that as well. So I just wondered whether we're going to see a sort of division of audio for learning in you know, sort of formal for assessment um, and then sort of private. Um, uh, so, so for your, um, your organisation, Advice uh, is more, you know, that, that example that you mentioned 
is relevant to that five people in that team. But that that massively enhances their work. Um, but it isn't something that necessarily you would host on Apple Podcasts, you know, and so you have a private platform for that. So I'm kind of interested in the searching and, and distribution of this audio content for learning and how that will play out. Um, yes, sure. So like you said, it's um, kind of an internal audio library. It's just about reaching internal audiences. I mean, you can also go and, for example, publish a playlist to share it with someone external, but the purpose is not like um, really getting content out there to increase your reach, but like really sharing knowledge with that. Um, and when it comes to organizing and searching everything, so our format is um, based on a micro learning approach. So um, in essence, it's like playlists with tracks and we um, would recommend tracks to not be longer than six minutes. And that doesn't mean you always have to keep yourself that short. Um, you can still say whatever you want to say, but give it a better structure um, and kind of split it up into tracks. And that um, already kind of forces the creator a bit to think more about like how they want to structure the content and make it really kind of um, uh, easy to process for the listener. And then also for the listener, you can jump right to um, the section that is most relevant to you. You can save it, you can bookmark it, you can create like new playlists out of that. Um, and this is how kind of the, the format itself has a really organized structure already. And then um, the search functionality is based on speech to text so that in essence, you're not only um, kind of searching for the title or the description of the playlist, um, but also about um, what is really said in this audio track. I loved Sophie, I, Sophie's um, mention of the speech to text. Um, another study that I do is the smart audio report and um, just the AI um, is, is growing incredibly. It's, it's, it's on every single piece of technology you have in your house or it will be very soon. Um, it's just becoming such a big part of people's lives, whether or not they realize it. Um, the consumer doesn't necessarily understand everything that's going on, but the computers do and they're making predictions for people. Um, that's just going to be um, a bigger and bigger part of the audio world, it getting people the content that they want. So that's, that's exciting to me when, when applications are building that in. Yeah, I think you, you have to have a bifurcation of where you find that audio because of kind of the nature of podcasts. And then if you look at Blinkist, Blinkist has done a great job with putting, you know, content in bite-sized blinks um, and adding in all kinds of features that you wouldn't get in a podcast. And you can only do that because they have a native app that people can use and you can add in that functionality and optimize the search for that. Um, and we kind of take a similar approach at Alp Audio where to have the kind of learning that we're going after, which is this in-depth um, kind of rigorous learning, which is more goal-oriented, you need to have all kinds of interactive functionalities and you need to have summaries and you need to have flashcards and basically a wraparound effect that you might not get in a podcast. Uh, and so you, you kind of have to have different user experiences I mean, maybe just related a little bit to what Megan was saying, something we haven't spoken about is, you know, just smart speakers, you know, the whole, you know, talking about the challenges of search. Um, you know, more people are just asking their devices <laughs> to help them learn something. And, um, you know, I think that's just a, another really, really fascinating thing uh, for us to think about, because it's another example of where, you know, audio is kind of gaining 
primacy or gaining ground maybe on other mediums. Yeah, I remember seeing a presentation where the guy was sort of saying that he uses, um, in this case, Alexa to you know speak back and forth in a different language, uh, just to kind of keep keep his. I think it was German. Keep that um, nice and polished. Um, I think that, I think this searchability thing is quite interesting because obviously all these algorithms surface things they they either want you to listen to because of any potential content agreements and or you know preempting what they think you want to learn and I suppose then it's also the challenge of how do you avoid any kind of um, black spots in um, you know actually I I want to go beyond that and beyond that fourth war as it were and, and learn the things that you you um, you don't know I want to know about so um, yeah it's kind of also a challenge of uh, making sure that we are conscious about what we want to learn and um, not just fed it as well. I mean, I, I can follow up on that in that I think um, we've been talking about how there's different ways to learn and the way that audio, the role that audio can play. I think we're going to see more and more opportunities to fit learning into people's lives, right? So that's sort of what we've been talking about. And I think maybe you will take a university class, but then have a chance. Maybe you could take it online. Maybe you could take it at home. Maybe you take it in person, but then maybe there's a follow-up in a few months, you know, with an audio course. That's a, That's part of that. Maybe that is broken down into a uh, a morning, you know, one minute uh, while you're brushing your teeth, uh, you know, uh, inspiration of the day or something. And then maybe that's linked to something that uh, you can play during lunch or something. And this could all maybe be spaced out over five years, you know, or I think we might be building these spaces where you go to when you want a certain kind of thing. And I think we're all kind of worried about the segmentation and the consolidation of of certain places and and putting walls up in different places you know, Blinkist from the beginning has wanted to be that place where you go to hang out when you want to learn something, right? Like I have 10 minutes, I have 50 minutes. I want to be inspired. I want to, I have a specific question. Boom, Blinkist, I know where I'm going. Now there's a lot of places that do that, right? So so we've had to try to figure out different kinds of formats, different ways to do that. Um, but what still is the case is that you'll see people that come because they've never heard of, let's say, Ryan Holiday or something, um, and they're interested in his work. Uh, but then you might also have somebody that's read a Malcolm Gladwell book three years ago and wants to freshen up on that and use Blinkist for that. And so I think we just might find that it, it just it becomes a normal part of life, you know, that the audio experience, you might, some things you listen to at home for this kind of learning, something you listen to on your bike with your headphones for that kind of learning. And it might just be that we all kind of grow up and become more comfortable deciding what medium, you know, what tool, which wearable, which technology is going to fit in for what content, for which need that we have. And and do you have any sort of hopes and dreams for audio and learning and or things that you, you would not want it to evolve into? I'm a big fan of independent podcasters and it's exciting what's happening in the world of podcasting. Um, but um, as companies merge and get bigger and bigger, I hope we're not drowning out um, these independent voices because just like you said about um, Hear, hearing the things uh, that um, you didn't know you even wanted to know um, when you're doing a search function. Um, we want to make sure that we have many voices out there. Yeah, I mean, I'll add also outside of the Western world, right? Um, it's not just about the, the um, uh, big companies, but I think we're seeing really interesting audio cases uh, in all parts of the world. I, I was talking to someone here from Angola, and she was saying uh, most people listen to podcasts on WhatsApp because they just hear something and they forward it to each other. And so they're not really going into the app, but she's saying her and her friends 
when they hear something, they record it and then they just share it on WhatsApp. But things go viral and, you know, and it's a completely different experience. And I know, you know, the apps that, 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 that are huge in China, for example, are completely, they're really interestingly different than what we're all familiar with. And I think what I, what I hope doesn't happen is that we all sort of assume, okay, you know, Apple is what we have and Spotify is what we have. I think that there's a lot of different ways that we can um, keep using, you know, keep, keep having access to this information. And I think we'll find uh, lots of inspiration if we look all over the world and, and yeah, in new places. I think that's a really interesting point, actually, about thinking internationally. And I know in China with Himalaya, they they it's it's much more of a culture of paying for audio for learning, specifically for for maybe your to support your work goals as well. And I um I actually had someone uploading the EdTech podcast to Himalaya. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, it's 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 probably out there in the ether somewhere. But um, yeah, it's really fascinating how it plays out in different different regions. I would like to bring up Clubhouse because uh, that uh, has definitely been like a recent trend um, no one could escape from. Um, and what I thought was so um, fascinating about Clubhouse is that people were, when they produced audio content, because it was real time, they were so much more authentic and real and kind of sharing um, very valuable insights they would probably not do when it's on demand. Um, and this is also kind of a direction I see audio evolving is not only facilitating creation um, and not necessarily the having the discussion about real time or on demand, but more importantly, like um, giving creators and also speakers, because like right now, for example, Sophie, you're the creator, we're the speaker, but also giving everyone more control of um, the content where it ends up and maybe also afterwards make it kind of editable. Because I think this would um, kind of uh, go into the right direction of producing even more relevant content if people not always have the feeling, okay, what I'm saying in, in like this half an hour is ending up on the internet somewhere and I would never have control about it. Or like maybe if I say something wrong, then I don't have the chance to um, kind of, yeah, um, eliminating it afterwards. Um, and this is, yeah. What is the charm certainly about real time, but I think this can um, as well be done for on-demand audio content. Um, I, th I think that's super interesting. I think that, um, yeah, it's also about creating, you, you know, you don't, you don't have the ability to edit it and make it, you know, super polished, but um, the idea that it becomes an actual club where people rock up and share share resources I think is really interesting I think um, I'm really also um, keen to follow what Apple and Spotify are doing with paid podcasts and I think uh, it was mentioned earlier about you know um, it, it's interesting because they're going down the subscription route so you know you can pay and, 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 and have a different form but if you want to provide a learning course for example um, and that has a, a finite finish um, what happens then? Because, you know, you don't want to subscribe, then drop out, then subscribe. So I think that's why at the moment you're seeing a lot of um, uh, companies pop up where you can host sort of private podcasts and have a, a different model where you perhaps pay just for that audio content as a one-off. But and I'm sure that problem won't exist for much longer. But, um, yeah, I think how paid evolves is going to be interesting to follow. Yeah, and maybe to jump on that also, how creators are going to make money in general. I mean, that's from the platform side, you know, the subscription model. And obviously Blink has been a big uh, a beneficiary of the subscription model, but um, 
you know, what we're trying to build out with Shortcast is a way to pay podcast creators that isn't just selling ads. So we see, you know, it's a recession and there are some, you know, big famous people can sell ads and make good money. That's great. But I think we all know that some of the people that make the best content aren't necessarily the people with the most Twitter followers. And, you know, we're trying to build out models and ways where we can share audience, share revenue with people who help us present content in a way that helps people learn, you know? Um, and I think more and more people are going to try and crack this also. And I, I don't know if we've, we're definitely not the only people, but um, if we can find help creators get more revenue by reaching more people, then we can ideally get more content out there that helps this learning, this learning sort of ecosystem thrive. And I, I'm interested to see what, what other innovations are going to happen there. I love the point about WhatsApp as well and such a simple idea. And I think, you know, pretty much um, it's becoming a norm now to sort of have almost like a, a mentorship WhatsApp group. So, you know, you have your collective brain where people that work in the same space and you dip in and say, well, you know, what do you think about this? And and actually that goes back to Nigel's idea of, um, you know, in this case, sort of um, public servants actually sharing sharing look uh, we did this it seemed to work quite well my and and it's those rapid um ways of communicating um and in this case using audio that are almost so easy to use it's stupid it's just like you don't have to think about it at all and and that's kind of what works and i think what how that intersects with audio um the peer-to-peer learning side is 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 kind of what makes it really exciting as well you know, it's not, it's not the um, traditional purveyors of knowledge handing this down. It's like rapid, um, like you said, Sophie, um, here and then it's gone and on to the next thing because we haven't always got time to have a, a qualification for five years. It's actually competence and then learn the next skill that will hold you in good stead for the next year. Um, so I think that's all, all quite an exciting development. Perhaps one silver lining, you know, of this awful pandemic is, um, you know, we have spent, like we are today, you know, on Zoom, recording, and actually our audiences, learners' um, expectations have changed a lot during this period. You know, I think a lot of aspiring podcasters two years ago would want to make everything sound like this American life. And I'm not sure that is the case anymore. And, you know, I, you know just listening to those little voice memos from public servants, it's like, it was fine, you know, and I think I wonder if I was sort of doing in the same job two years ago, I'd have been like, well, we really ought to record those people a bit more professionally sounding. So actually, I think there's kind of an opportunity maybe with audio, you know, it is a sort of a relatively low tech uh, medium that, um, you know, we can all sort of benefit from. Actually, I would like to jump in there um, because when we started Oddwise, or before that actually, I did a survey with uh, 3,000 students um, to kind of really determine if the audio quality is a major driver, if they would consume the content or not. And it was, we kind of gave them four or five tracks um, about all kinds of topics from history to um, kind of uh, biology and uh, with different kind of speakers and different kinds of audio quality. Um, and then we asked them, hey, like um, listening to all these tracks, um, what could we do better? And they said, um, well, the audio quality could be better. Um, but then they responded to the question, would you still listen to it for the purpose of learning something new? They all said yes. 
So um, I think this showed very much that for the purpose of learning, which is like a really strong driver, people should care much less about um, if they're recording in a professional podcast studio or if they have like a 500 euro mic, because technology nowadays, like our smartphones, they produce very, very high quality already. So if you're sitting in a silent room um, with not much background noise, I think um, it's it's doable to really produce good content if you focus more on the content than like on um, all the fancy things that make it more like a media production. So I totally agree um, on that, Nigel. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting to reflect on, given what's happened with MOOCs that, you know, have evolved in their own right. But then it became a bit of a um, a bit of a bun fight for, you know, best production, you know, going to its logical conclusion, which is something like Masterclass. And so I can sort of see how this was split into two again on the one side, you know, the content, the learning and on the other where you've got consolidated tech, which may take over some of these companies, then just going this American lifestyle, six producers, you know. And so I think you'll sort of see both coexist and, and both have their have their place and will settle down into where their sort of market fit is. But um yeah. Groovy. Well, um I think that sort of brings us to a natural conclusion. Maybe one liner hopes and dreams. So if if we were to record this next year, where would you like to see audio and learning? Well for me it's really just a a complete social mobile learning experience um, that's as good as a university in your pocket um well next year i would like to see um audio competing with video when it comes to all kinds of stats including market size usage um, and so on i hope creators have more chance more chances to make money and reach wider audiences with good content and that will mean more users have more access to great content and and uh, be exposed to more creators outside of their what they're used to. Let's say new perspectives. Oh, it's such a hard question. Um, and you've everybody else has said really good answers. I suppose for me, um, I think it's interesting to compare how kind of like the evolution of video in learning and how that um, kind of traditionally originally kind of aped. Um, you know, let's just record a lecture. Um, and we evolve from that. And I think we're sort of still maybe at the kind of the audio version of like, what is the thing we're trying to copy rather than what actually makes um, learning in audio something unique? And mine isn't so deep. I just hope people continue to fund the research about audio so we can understand how people are using it. That's uh, absolutely brilliant. Thank you all so much. Um, it's obviously a subject close to my heart. So um, I've really enjoyed learning from you all. And can't wait to share this with our, our listeners who are obviously also um, enthusiastic about this subject. So thanks so much. And, you know, perhaps we should meet again next year and see where we've got to. Um, but, yeah, thank you all. And uh, see you next time. Bye. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks, thanks a lot. Everyone. Take thank care. Thank you. Enjoyed thank it. You. Nice to meet you all. Yeah, great to meet everybody. Yeah. Uh, So that's all for this week. Thank you to all my guests this week, to all the listings, for you also for all listening in. Um, we love putting the show together and putting it out to you and hopefully providing some resources for you all and love getting your messages and just wish I could clone myself into a thousand people to get back to you all. But um, fear not, uh, quite often your messages are read even if they're not returned. 
Anyhow, um, I'll be back on Clubhouse midweek to reel off the best resources from the show as well. Our EdTech of the Week this week is a project from the Netherlands called Making.com, which is an online platform that simplifies the connection between people looking for production technology and suppliers that offer it. So it's the first platform to group technologies around the products they help make, allowing creators of all sizes access to the hidden network of machines, manufacturers, tooling suppliers and therefore the knowledge previously accessible only through long-established private networks. So if you're a maker-type enthusiast, you might want to go and see um, what they're up to and how the digital, physical and creative realms are coming together. Okay, so that is making.com. Our next episode is uh, looking at what happened to EdTech in China um, so a really interesting fallout from newly introduced regulation there. And so until then, adios, have fun, work hard and keep on listening and learning. Take care. Bye bye.